welcome to a new episode of Mediterranean Sustainability Partners. I'm your host, Ellen Wasalina. In this episode, I have the distinct pleasure of speaking with Ambassador Ole Shamshul, and we're going to talk about Ukraine at war, perspectives and stakes. In segment one, the war in Ukraine from a European perspective. In segment two, the war in Ukraine from a U.S. perspective. In segment three, the security stakes, energy, agriculture, defense, governance, EU, and NATO. And finally, in this fourth segment, how does it end? Scenarios and options. Here's a very short bio of Ambassador Oleg Shamshur, extraordinary and plenipotentiary ambassador of Ukraine. Ambassador Shamshur graduated from Taz Shevchenko Kiev University, Department of International Relations and International Law in 1978. He has a PhD in history and is an author of over 90 scientific publications. In 1978, he started his professional career at the Academy of Sciences of Ukraine, where he worked at the Institutes of Social and Economic Problems of Foreign Countries and World Economy and International Relations, including in 1984 to 1989 as Director of Programs of ISCPFC. In 1992 to 1993, he was a visiting scholar at University College London. Since 1993, he has worked at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Ukraine, being posted at Geneva, Counselor at the Permanent Mission of Ukraine, and Brussels as Deputy Chief of Mission at the Ukrainian Embassy to the Benelux countries. He served as Deputy Minister of Foreign Affairs of Ukraine, 2004 to 2005, being Ukrainian Chief Negotiator of the Ukraine-EU Action Plan, and Ambassador of Ukraine to the United States, 2005 to 2010, and France, 2014 to 2020. Prior to his appointment as Ukraine's ambassador to France, Ole Shamshur was serving as a senior advisor to PBN Hill and Knowlton Strategies and a non-resident fellow at the German Marshall Fund of the United States and as a senior advisor to the U.S.-Ukraine Business Council. Following retirement from Ukrainian Foreign Service, he has been working as a political and business consultant, being also non-resident senior fellow at the Atlantic Council of the United States. He has also worked from 1996 to 1998 as deputy head of the National Committee for Nationalities and Migration of Ukraine and member of the Presidential Commission for Citizenship of Ukraine. He was awarded the Order of Merit of Ukraine. I hope you'll enjoy this episode and thank you for tuning in to Mediterranean Sustainability Partners in 56 countries and five continents. Welcome to a new episode of Mediterranean Sustainability Partners. I'm your host, Ellen Wasselin. I'm so pleased to have His Excellency Oleg Shamshur with me today. Hello, Oleg. Hi. So nice of you to join me. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you. So 
Uh, as, as agreed, so we have three segments to talk about today. So the Ukraine war, of course, uh, perspectives and stakes, and I'm so privileged. Uh, Oleg, de, cher Oleg, we met in Paris uh, many years ago, and uh, you were ambassador, uh, Ukrainian ambassador to France. So um, we're going to get your perspective. You were also previously ambassador to, to the U.S. So And you sit, I believe, in the U.S., is that correct? Uh, no. Yes. No, no, I'm just, I'm in Brussels. You're, you're in Brussels, okay. It's not the story, but so, so far I'm in Brussels. Okay, excellent. All right, so, but you've had that perspective as Ukrainian ambassador to the U.S. So, uh, as agreed, so we'll do three segments, uh, and then we'll do some perspectives and security uh, outlook uh, for the war, and um, I believe we'll have a good rounded discussion. Now, if you would allow me, I would like to put forward some numbers that I did some research on, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but let me start with the figures that were published on June 6 on LCE, uh, which you know very well, French television, uh, on June 6. Uh, so I'd like to talk about the support that has been given to Ukraine militarily, all right? Uh, and these are the figures that came from the World Bank, IFP, and Reuters on June 6. So I'd like to talk about the great effort that the U.S. is making to the tune of 4.2 billion euros. Uh, and I'll, I'd like to list some things, and, and please correct me if, if you know otherwise. Stinger missiles, Javelin missiles, um, M77 launchers, munitions, light vehicles, armored vehicles, M117 helicopters, switchblade drones. And the U.S., just to be clear, and I'll compare all these countries that are giving a lot of help to Ukraine, in terms of GDP per capita, it's 0.2% of the GDP of the US, okay? Just in terms of 4.2 billion euros. Then we go to the second contributor, um, which is Poland. Uh, and Poland is contributing uh, 1.5 billion euros. Um, T-72 tanks, MiG-29 uh, missiles. Then we go to the UK, 530 million. Armored vehicles, anti-air defense systems, radars, and drones. Now, France, and this was shown on television again with graphics and everything, France is contributing 100 million euros. Uh, in terms of GDP, it was 0.04%. Um, and then there's Latvia and Estonia, 200 million euros, 6% of GDP, and Estonia, 20, sorry, 227 0.5 million euros or 8% of GDP, all right? Now, if I may just put out some more figures, uh, allow me, the cost of the war, all right? And this article dates from May 6, from Forbes, okay? So uh, 600 billion euros in loss, economic loss, 92 billion euros in damage, Overall, the economic loss is estimated to be 564 billion to 600 billion dollars. Uh, 195 factories and businesses, 230 healthcare facilities, 940 education institutions damaged, destroyed, or seized. And please correct me because I think these figures are not up to date. Uh, 6.8 million refugees. I believe there's over 10 million now. Would you say? 
Well, uh, actually, it's uh, difficult uh, to say, uh, and uh, I presume uh, that uh, as far as the damage is concerned, it's maybe too early to give sure. uh, oral assessment and the exact assessment. As far as the uh, refugees concerned, I see also different figures, and it should be taken into consideration there is a, a certain amount of refugees that are coming back. Yes. Uh, and uh, some of them are staying, some of them are coming back to the countries uh, where they've got the uh, refuge, but definitely we are talking about uh, millions and millions of refugees. Some people say that it's uh, the biggest um, uh, refugee, although they are mostly not the refugees, but those enjoying temporary protection given by the European Union and European Union countries. Uh, that is the biggest refugee crisis since uh, World War II. So that's exact. Uh, there is no doubt about that. Yeah. So uh, from your end, what are you hearing? So again, we're talking in this segment about the European perspective. You're sitting in Brussels. What are you hearing? Uh, cher Oleg, Excellency, what, what are you hearing about uh, the efforts made? I think is the U is the European Union divided? Is it unified? What what are you hearing on your end? Uh, well, uh, I think that I'm hearing in Brussels uh, exactly the same you're hearing in France or something <laughs> because now it's really difficult uh, to uh, not to reveal uh, the most important things. So I think that. Basically, EU with the certain um, period of uh, um, delay started to act uh, right. up to the situation. And basically, we're speaking about the fact that for the first time in its history, the European Union is providing military assistance. Yes. And definitely we shouldn't forget about the sanctions uh, coupled together with the American sanctions. That's the most, maybe after the military system, the most potent um, tool. Can, can, you, can, can you talk to us a little bit about the sanctions from your yeah, perspective? I, I, I will, um, to, to defeat, uh, helping to defeat um, Russia. And uh, the third element, that's um, financial, economic, and humanitarian aid. So as I call it, the uh, triad of um, measures and tools that are being provided by the European Union, uh, as well as the United States are of the uh, utmost importance. Uh, speaking about uh, the uh, sanctions, uh, definitely um, uh, uh, they are um, of unprecedented character in sure. volume and in uh, terms of uh, the um, sectors of economy um, um, being uh, targeted and hit. Uh, they are really, uh, you would imagine that they are infernal, but, definite, uh, but at the same time, unfortunately, uh, their, uh, their action is delayed in time. So uh, they, uh, only some of them have immediate effect, mostly uh, Russia hopefully would feel the effect uh, in a while. But uh, the most important are the sanctions targeting uh, oil and gas sector, so oil and gas embargo. 
And uh, I guess only yesterday the figures were revealed that uh, since the beginning of war, Russia managed to earn $93 billion um, due to the export of um, oil and gas. That's amazing. And this exactly shows that uh, uh, those, uh, those sums, those funds are feeding up, are oily in a way, the war machine of uh, Putin. Uh, so in this sense, uh, without targeting oil and gas uh, seriously, uh, we cannot expect uh, to stop uh, uh, war machine uh, of Putin uh, working. Uh, at the same time, another issue. So the first uh, problem is the scope of actions. So although right. they are really uh, comprehensive, but not, they are not comprehensive enough. The second issue is the application of sanctions. Unfortunately, if you look attentively at some sanctions, for example, uh, transport uh, sanctions uh, targeting ports uh, and uh, um, uh, trucks, for example, you would find a lot of loopholes uh, giving the possibility uh, to uh, somehow uh, circumvent these sanctions for the Russians and also for those countries who are, uh, I would say, in this sense, mean enough to help Russia to circumvent uh, sanctions. And the uh, third issue, which I would like to involve speaking about the sanctions, uh, that's the issue of uh, maybe the uh, fishes that has have appeared in the sanctions block in the European Union, especially especially as soon as the issue of the oil embargo, not speaking about the gas, uh, was put on the table. And uh, I would say the most um, nefarious case is that of uh, Hungary, some other countries are also involved and uh, uh, summing up, I would say the uh, sanctions are definitely carrying their effect. At the same time, they would have a, a delayed um, action impact. And at the same time, it should be understood that without uh, targeting gas and oil revenues, we are, uh, and EU is not able to make sanctions uh, attain the result that was intended from the very beginning. Of course. So uh, there's two sides of the coin, right? With these sanctions, uh, as you know, most European countries, especially on these former Soviet Union border, are 100% dependent on Russia for oil and gas, gas mostly, right? Um, Bulgaria, uh, some of the Baltic countries, uh, Romania, and we go down the line. Now, further west, where I am in Paris, Obviously, France is not dependent or hardly at all at 14%, I believe, you know, and we have nuclear power. And the question has come up too, you know, should we all be building nuclear reactors? Uh, uh, many things are, are coming up and how do we do our mix now? More renewables, can we cut ourselves off? You know, and all this, when, when we're talking about the Green Deal, you know, and this repower Europe and everything, what have, what have you been hearing uh, in Brussels uh, where you are on this energy issue? Actually, as I said, the stakes are so high and the arguments are on the table, they're known to everyone. I would say that 
Um, of course, if you listen to the arguments of those who are speaking in favor of, um, maybe we are not, uh, we should not be pressing for sanctions so far. They affect the economy, and the, you need the money from the EU countries for the war effort and for exactly for uh, rebuilding the country afterwards. But I think uh, those who are advancing uh, those arguments, they're missing the point. And uh, uh, the situation is very stark, uh, meaning that, e well, firstly, either we defend Putin uh, and uh, actually then we can be speaking about stability, peace in Europe and world, uh, even worldwide, or uh, we allow Putin to prevail at least uh, impose the part of his plan on Ukraine, and then uh, that would be the best way to make war a really perennial European institution. Yeah. Uh, so uh, even if you look at that, uh, you understand. Now it's a seminal, it's a turning point. There are no uh, beautiful, um, uh, good-looking and uh, uh, feel good solutions. It's time of sacrifice, and the sacrifice uh, is to be made by everyone. Uh, by Ukraine is clear, and we are doing that uh, on the hourly basis. But it should be also done by the European countries, by the United States. Although, of course, the sanctions might produce um, negative uh, impact. Uh, influence on the economy, but it should be understood that the stakes are so high that it's time for uh, looking at the, the most important issue, which is the defeat of the Putin regime. Otherwise, uh, the whole world and Europe especially would be uh, destabilized. And those who are um, speaking about uh, um, bad negative effect on the economy uh, would have to pay even more if they uh, do not uh, defeat Putin at uh, this stage. So can we talk? Can we talk about too? And I and I gave a list, and I know it's quite technical, but and I'm sure you're aware. What does Ukraine need? And we hear, you know, what Ukraine needs in terms of of, of armament uh, to defend itself. What, what could we learn from this? I mean, this is a very interesting war. And I have to tell you on French TV every night, we have the map of Ukraine, which people never saw and never heard of Ukraine. And you know how it is. You were here in France as ambassador. We have Ukraine every night on the news now, and everybody knows now the geography, which I think is tremendous. But um, could you tell us what Ukraine needs in terms, how can, how can Ukraine defeat uh, Russia, basically on its territory? I'm not going to maybe to quote and to mention the exact figures that has been done recently, for example, by one of the advisors to uh, President Zelensky. But it's quite clear that, uh, and we have uh, told that uh, on many occasions, uh, in terms of uh, weaponry, uh, we need, uh, first of all, uh, heavy artillery, uh, houses, uh, because uh, the war, especially at Donbass, is increasingly becoming uh, the war uh, between the artilleries. Yes. Uh, secondly, we need uh, the multiple uh, rocket launchers and systems uh, that uh, could uh, impact uh, the enemy uh, from uh, the uh, from uh, considerable distance, if I'm not mistaken, 40, 50, 60 kilometers. Right. Something like that. 
we definitely still need the entire aircraft time missile systems because uh, we, uh, I would say, our uh, air force was really heroic to deny the uh, Russians the um, the airspace, the dominance in airspace. But still, they have much more, uh, yes. much more planes. And especially they have much more rockets and uh, that are rising uh, not only our troops, but especially our city's uh, um, uh, civilian population. Uh, secondly, uh, we need entire naval systems like Harpoon uh, to target Russian, uh, uh, Russian sh uh, Navy, Russian ships, uh, because otherwise they definitely would be trying to um, to attack um, places like Odessa on the coastline to uh, bring uh, their uh, forces uh, on uh, the beach. Uh, and uh, so far they were not successful, but they're uh, still uh, trying. So those are the main times of, uh, uh, of uh, uh, weaponry we need and definitely we need ammunition because the amount of ammunition ammunition being used each day is really enormous. We understand uh, that these talks in some countries are really not inabusable. So you have to make the effort, but again, these takes are so hard that now we need those talks and those countries who are providing the weapons might might procure the weapons at the later stage, because if we lose now, they will have uh, they will need much more weapons they, uh, they uh, compared to what they're providing. Uh, now, Th that's uh, the weaponry, and uh, I was actually, I, we appreciate, and I appreciate very much the efforts uh, which were made by the United States. But there is one uh, troubling, uh, troubling um, point: is the weaponry is coming, but each time it's coming uh, uh, lately, sometimes too late. And at the same time, it's clear that anyway, it will be provided. Why to procrastinate? It is uh, really uh, so inefficient and so unwise. Uh, and it's happening all the time. For example, now uh, there is a, there are rumors, not simply in Brussels, but everywhere, uh, that uh, one of uh, the reasons why we are not getting in time uh, the uh, weapons we are asking for is that uh, because of the discussion going on in uh, the United States, but especially in Europe, what should be the aim uh, of uh, the final um, aim of uh, the war, and maybe we shouldn't accumulate, uh, as it was. Yes, uh, you've heard that. Yes, said by Macron, President Macron. And, yes, and maybe we should avoid the fragmentation or debacle of Russia and so so forth. I would say uh, I cannot say uh, in uh, the public podcast what I think about that. Uh, <laughs> of course. Well, listen, yeah. listen. Let let let's stop there. Uh, yeah. Because you know, I want to save some part the about the stupidity. That's what I <laughs> okay. All right. I was going to say, let's stop our conversation here because you're you're sort of going over to the U.S. side, which I want to save for the next segment. Thank you. Thank you so much, Oleg. Thank you. Thank you so much.
And we're back with Ambassador Oleg Shamshur. Welcome again, Oleg, to the second segment. Thanks. Would you like to say something to our listeners in Ukraine? You know, Ukraine is ranked 24th on our podcast, but I must say that the U.S. is first and France is second. So I know you're multilingual. Would you like to say something to our listeners in Ukraine or in France? Uh, well, uh, as you say, so maybe I will speak to uh, Ukrainians. I hope that uh, the French uh, would uh, also <laughs> listen to podcast. Uh, as they say in uh, Ukrainian, uh, so we shall overcome. Але це буде нелегко, і треба для цього зібрати всі наші зусилля всього суспільства. Воно має бути і надалі об'єднаним, і рішуче йти до перемоги. Thank you so much for, for addressing our listeners, our Ukrainian listeners. I really appreciate it. So, uh, we're back. In the second segment, now I'd like to get your take on the Ukraine war from a U.S. perspective as former ambassador to the U.S. Uh, and sitting as you do uh, on the Atlantic Council as a non-resident senior fellow. Could you give us, I know your experience is great in this area, from a U.S. perspective, how do you see this war and do you think the U.S. is doing enough? Uh, basically, I think that um, we Ukrainians uh, should be grateful on uh, growth, uh, should be uh, grateful to the United States uh, for uh, three reasons. I mentioned uh, the three, com- three components of assistance we need, and uh, most of the weaponry is coming from the United States. Right. The financial assistance is also sub- very substantial, very big, 40 billion, for example, that's an enormous yes. uh, figure. Uh, and uh, th- uh, sanctions um, applied by uh, the United States are at least as important as that uh, uh, applied by the uh, European uh, Union. And I especially would like to stress the role played uh, by the Biden administration in uh, bringing um, all partners, I mean, the European Union, other uh, partners belonging to the uh, community of democratic nations together in um, uniting in their efforts uh, uh, to help Ukraine to uh, counter uh, Russian aggression. At the same time, I think that unfortunately, in many senses, especially in uh, the uh, period before the war, uh, to some extent, even now, the uh, policies of the United States is still very, uh, is still, if not very, still reactive. Uh, uh, while they uh, should, and we all should be moving in advance uh, to uh, Putin's um, uh, Putin's aggression and Putin's, uh, Putin's uh, attacks, uh, not allow him uh, to more or less uh, regulate the war according to his wish. Uh, Fortunately, uh, finally, I think uh, the tide is coming against him coming back, but uh, it's still much more uh, to be done. I have already spoken about the provision delivery of weapons, and one of the, the, this is one of the examples where the United States should be leading the way I would say more um, aggressively in the positive sense uh, of this uh, word. 
Uh, of course, uh, I'm a bit worried by the discussion within the United States about uh, the um, final aims of the war. Uh, some voices speaking about the accommodation uh, a ramp off for, uh, for Putin. Uh, they are not uh, the dominant, but they exist. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, they've become uh, more vocal. And uh, uh, as soon as we hear that much more loudly in the European in the European Union, in the European countries, any uh, vaccination uh, um, on that in the United States uh, would have uh, a negative impact for the discovery, negative for us and for really strategic situation um, if uh, uh, they uh, would uh, persist. So uh, that uh, basically, uh, I would say, so uh, uh, the United States are doing a great job. Biden is doing a very good job, but still uh, it, it definitely can be better. Okay. Can you talk to us about the Super Land Lease Act, you know, that's very old in the United States and that was passed in favor of Ukraine? And I can't remember the exact amount, perhaps you can, but um, it was very symbolic that you know, almost like, you know, at war times and sort of like almost, not almost, but like a Marshall Plan, would you say? It's uh, definitely not the Marshall Plan, which has been uh, with rebuilding recovery. Uh, it's really a land lease, uh, like the land lease of uh, the Second World War. Uh, as far as I understand, it deals uh, uh, not so much with the volume, but especially with the um, speed of the delivery of arms and assistance, which is very important. I think it was a step in a good direction. By the way, speaking about the reactivity, I think it might have been signed uh, even um, quicker than it was. And uh, uh, going back to what you asked before, I think where uh, the United States was not so good, uh, it was not uh, excellent on communication, especially uh, during the um, beginning of the war, um, telling together with uh, the uh, Secretary General of NATO what the United States is not going to do. And I think <laughs> it was not, it, it was enough to understand uh, what is his leeway, where he can um, move uh, more aggressively, uh, and the things he, he cannot and shouldn't be afraid of. Now is much better. Uh, now, uh, uh, finally, the importance and uh, really the uh, uh, historical importance of the moment has set down into the heads in the United States in, in, in Europe, but it was uh, before, and I want, don't want to, uh, for that to come back. So, uh, as you know, you know, you, Ukrainians, like myself, my father was Ukrainian, are what, 2% maybe of the population of the US, no one really talks about much about Ukraine or never really paid much attention to Ukraine. Do you think Ukraine is on the map now for many Americans? Uh, and I know you have a lot of experience in the U.S. Um, and, and your work there as the ambassador. Um, can you tell us what their perspective as American Ukrainians or Ukrainians in the U.S. Um, is this maybe a, a good thing for, for Ukrainians to 
I, I don't want to say the war is a good thing, but uh, that President Zelensky finally was received by President Biden. Uh, and, and lately, you know, like I don't think President Trump even wanted to receive him. Am I correct? Uh, well, it's uh, we can ask uh, <laughs> President Trump, but uh, I really doubt whether he was serious about receiving, unless some of his uh, stupid, uh, uh, stupid uh, conditions are being met, which was, as far as I understand, which was not uh, actually considered seriously. Uh-huh. <laughs> but but as far as uh, Ukrainians in America. Uh, and, and I know there's a big push, and I, I know some of the people in Washington, and you, I'm sure we know the same people, but uh, is it important too that there's a Ukrainian uh, activity, associations, uh, activism? Can, can you tell us a little bit about that in the U.S.? Uh, Ukrainian community has always uh, uh, been very active in the United States. It's, uh, anyway, it's uh, over one million of people. They are concentrated in some really important, uh, from the um, political point of view, uh, states. So they have had uh, enough cloud before. And uh, as far as I know, they are very active now to um, stimulate and to accumulate support uh, for uh, Ukraine. Uh, I think that um, uh, compared to Europe, uh, Ukraine was better known in the United States, at least as far as the um, uh, foreign policy establishment and those who were involved in politics in general. There was uh, uh, the strategic thinking and uh, the place of uh, uh, Ukraine in the uh, strategic, on the strategic map in Europe uh, was clearer to them uh, than to uh, paradoxical than to some uh, Europeans. And in this sense, uh, I think uh, they have been receiving uh, support from the United States from the beginning of our existence. Uh, at the same time, uh, United States are also uh, responsible for uh, important strategic mistakes um, uh, made by the West in general, allowing to create uh, the monster uh, of uh, Putin, the monster of uh, Putin's Russia now, uh, speaking about dependence of energy sources, of course, right. uh, almost, uh, well, mostly about uh, uh, Europe, uh, about dirty money, about uh, turning a blind eye on uh, his uh, war in Georgia and many other. So that's the collective responsibility of the West. And unfortunately, a part of this responsibility lies with the United States. Uh, just one of the examples, why did Russia get into G8? That was initiative of Bill Clinton, very simple. So uh, there was some misunderstanding of what was going in Russia uh, until uh, the very beginning of the war, unfortunately. Now it's changing, but as I said, it should have been changing um, even uh, quicker and in many senses in more substantial ways. All right. Well, listen, we're going to end our part on the U.S. here. Thank you, Ambassador Chia Oreg. We're going to go on to the third segment. Thank you so much. Uh, you're welcome still. <laughs> Thank you.
we're back with Ambassador Oleg Shamsho. Oleg, welcome to the third segment. Thanks. I'm still here. <laughs> okay, great. All right. So in this third segment, it's a lot to cover and we probably don't have enough time. So security stakes, energy, sort of touched on, agriculture, defense, governance, EU, NATO. I would like to ask you, Cher uh, Oleg, about this very important port of Odessa and the hunger um, campaign, really, uh, that uh, that is going on to prevent the grain from getting to where it should be going. Can, can you talk to a little bit about that, please? So the importance of uh, Odessa is uh, the utmost one in many senses, is a key to the south of Ukraine. So. Uh, for Putin controlling Odessa is almost indispensable. Sure. He wants uh, to control the south uh, south of Ukraine. Uh, secondly, uh, without uh, Odessa, there w- wouldn't be the uh, access, big access of Ukraine uh, to the Black Sea. And uh, thirdly, Odessa plays a very important role in our exports related to the previous point. And maybe I should also mention the fourth point. Odessa is very important psychologically because it's one of the key cities in Ukraine, known for its uh, vigorous uh, independence. I mean, their special spirit, their uh, desire to and uh, readiness to uh, push back uh, the aggressor. And so uh, it's it's really important. It's uh, in the eye of uh, Putin's efforts. And at the same time, we do understand how important to hold Odessa. And uh, it's really important both militarily and for economic reasons, because as you see, Putin is, uh, as usual, um, uh, trying to implement multi-layer uh, strategy. You call, I call it uh, the MILF uh, strategy, <laughs> and uh, also trying to stifle uh, Ukraine economically, and uh, especially in the terms of the agricultural experts, which is one of the most important segments of our economy and of our export. Did you know that even here in France, you know, I went to my supermarket the other day, there was no vegetable oil. Yeah. And, and, and someone said, oh, well, that must come from Ukraine. You know, people don't realize, you know, uh, the, the tremendous uh, exports and, and tonnage that Ukraine provides on the world market. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Actually, uh, I um, I guess a couple of days ago, I have came have come across uh, one of the Western newspapers of uh, the definition Ukraine uh, is agricultural superpower. That is absolutely correct, especially if we uh, believe, and I do believe that in, in this century, um, the food uh, might become uh, the oil or gas, so so important it will be. Absolutely. So we still have uh, largely unreformed uh, agriculture, and even with unreformed agricultural sector, uh, we are one of the greatest importers of uh, cereals, of wheat, 
and uh, uh, especially uh, you mentioned uh, oil, uh, sunseed oil, uh, or other oils, uh, uh, other cereals. Uh, yes. it, without Ukraine, the picture uh, is going to be uh, much weaker. And as you know, uh, already uh, the lack of exports from Ukraine it affects. Uh, a negatively situation uh, in uh, the countries of uh, Africa, Southern Africa, especially in yes. Asia. And uh, unfortunately, uh, and I'm afraid the situation uh, would uh, only worsen. Yeah. So unfortunately, for lack of time, I'm going to jump ahead. Uh, and I just, if I can get just a quick takes on you about Ukraine's membership to EU and to NATO. Just quickly, we have about five minutes left. If well, you could speaking give about the EU, it uh, seemed at the very beginning uh, very close. Uh, we all remember the words uh, of Wonderline, very encouraging. Now I get a chance. I got a chance uh, to uh, speak to some people uh, from some European countries. I'm personally uh, very. I'm very disappointed and I'm not very optimistic. I'm afraid that EU might come with the something like uh, in Bucharest summit, um, Georgia and Ukraine will become the members of, uh, of uh, NATO and it might be essentially the same uh, with uh, the um, with the formulation concocted by the European Union, and you know that Europeans and the European Union are very good on that. Yes. And it, it would be a real pity because it, it goes on about uh, candidate country status, uh, which might last uh, for many years. We uh, made it clear that we, would, uh, we are ready to uh, go through all the necessary procedures, all the necessary criteria. But I would like to say, positive decision would be an immense boost, powerful boost for the European population, for the, I'm sorry, for the Ukrainian population. And unfortunately, there, there are not many things uh, which make our people rejoice and happy. And the negative um, decision would be a great boost uh, to Vladimir Putin and his uh, clique. And it was uh, clear a couple of weeks ago as I watched a segment from the Russian television and they were saying, you see, uh, the European Union cheated you Ukrainians once more. You shouldn't believe them. They are not your friends. And so, oh. so, first. so it's, uh, let's be... Um, clear it's mostly about politics it's a political decision and if this simple decision uh, i think it's still simple simple decision under circumstances is not being made by the european union that would be a huge disappointment in ukraine and uh, a lot of joy to uh, to Putin. So let's not give him this uh, possibility to be happy once more. All right. Well, listen, I think I, I'm sorry this segment is very short and I apologize for lack of time. Um, I Maybe we could get just a couple of words on, we've already sort of talked about energy, maybe about governance. Uh, could I just get you maybe to say a few words on, on governance in Ukraine and how things are going and how the country is being run and what, what we can hope for Ukraine, maybe some perspective? 
So I think that uh, one thing that uh, President Zelensky managed to do is he managed to message in the right way. He managed to unite uh, the country uh, uh, where I would like to see more uh, efficiency is uh, definitely is uh, in rebuilding the country to meet the war effort. It uh, relates to logistics, it relates to um, uh, reorienting economy and so on and so forth. So uh, I think that unfortunately there is a, a possible option of uh, continued war of attrition and in this sense a good not simply good efficient governance and really uh, the governments that would boost the war effort in a, in a significant way is really something that is not only desirable is absolutely necessary okay we're gonna have to end it there and i i, I take this a positive note thank you so much cher oleg ambassador oleg shamsho thank you thank you uh merci infiniment merci beaucoup and uh, so à bientôt <laughs> À bientôt. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you. You're welcome.